This video is brought to you by Overleaf for all your scientific paper writing needs. There's a saying in the flat earther community that goes a little something like this. If the earth was a globe, then the drop to the horizon would be eight inches per mile squared. Now there's a lot to unpack in that sentence. So for a start, what is the drop to the horizon? More importantly, eight inches per mile squared, that's a distance in one unit system as a ratio of an area, miles squared. It seems to be implying that if you take the distance to the horizon in miles and square it and multiply it by eight, that's the drop in inches. It's very confusing. And when I was recently at the Mass Jam uh, big annual gathering, someone called Dave Hartburn did a talk about this where they tried to reverse engineer what the flat earthers were trying to say and what they came up with was, well, for a start, if you do assume the Earth is flat and you stand and you look, your line of sight stays parallel with the ground, like, forever. But if the Earth was a globe, it would drop off. So you stick with the looking straight out, you assume that's kind of tangent to the globe that you're standing on, and then you've got your distance around the globe, and you want to convert that distance around the globe to the height difference, the amount that your line of sight is above, the drop down to the horizon. And they're saying if you take that distance in miles and square it, you get the drop h in inches. But does that work? I mean, the correct equation, if you do assume you are on the globe, which I do, I am a spherical, no, I'm a, I'm a ball earther. A baller, for short. That's how I'm commonly described, then you do all the trigonometry and the actual equation is one minus cos of the distance to the horizon, that d divided by the radius of the earth, all multiplied by the radius of the earth. And that is a very different equation. We can compare them to see just how different. You know we're checking it in a spreadsheet. So I got one column, which is the distance to the horizon in miles, and then this column here is eight times whatever that is uh, squared. So in theory, that's the drop in inches. But over here, we're gonna do it for real. And that equals, well, it's uh, one minus the cosine of, oh wait, I need to do the drop in miles, but I gotta divide that by, the radius of the Earth, but we're doing things in miles, one second. What is the radius of the Earth in miles? Uh, just shy of 4,000. Here we go. In miles, I'm gonna pop that up there. And it means in here now, I can have that distance to the horizon divided by the radius of the Earth in miles, I'm just gonna lock that in there. And then it's all of that times the radius of the Earth in miles. All right, there we are, that's the actual drop. But it's in miles, we want it in inches. Oh, how many inches in a mile? How many inches in a mile? 63,360. Okay, so it's each of these, then times the number of inches in a Oh, what? <laughs> They're pretty much exactly the same. 
Oh no. Okay, so flat earthers say if you take a one mile distance and square it multiply eight, it's eight inches down. And we got 8.002 all the way down here. Eight times six squared, 288. Correct answer, 288.087. That's so close. What if we extend this down a bit? Come on. Down, 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 down. 153 miles away. Oh my, that's still, it's not exact, but it's close. For completeness, I have a GeoGebra file here of the flat earth approximation function in blue. My friend Ben Sparks made this for me and the units we picked on the horizontal and indeed vertical axes is ratio of the earth's radius. So we're looking a distance to the horizon between zero and 0.6 times the earth's radius. We can now turn on the actual drop to the horizon function in red. And look how close that is. What a match. They're like so incredibly close. And down here, like if we zoom right in to like quite close distances, perfect match. So only when you zoom out, you start to see some divergence between the two. And then eventually you see they are completely different functions. Of course, one's a trigonomic function. So the cosine is going up and down, up and down, up and down. That corresponds to technically, if your distance keeps going out, you just start lapping the earth. And as you're lapping the earth, the drop is just yo-yoing up and down. Whereas the approximation one over here in blue, well that's, well it's a parabola because it's a, it's a, it's a quadratic because they're just squaring the distance. So it's a nice neat polynomial of order two. So you get this parabola here, nice and neat, very different function if you zoom right out to a trigonomic function. But if you zoom right in, look at that match. It's like on this kind of scale, it's an incredibly close approximation. I mean, well done. Flat earthers, uh, from, from a baller, that's impressive. It's such a good approximation, I'm prepared to overlook some of the other problems with this situation. Like when you're looking at the horizon, you don't look tangent to where you're standing. That's just like looking up into the, to the sky. You look tangent to the horizon because that's where your line of sight hits the edge of the ball and there's refraction in the air and all these things, but we're overlooking those. This is not a video to dunk on flat earthers. That would be a very different video that we might do in the future. Foreshadowing. Um, but that's for later. That's still over the horizon, if you will, or indeed uh, won't. Here, I'm rolling back my sass to say, well done, flat earthers. It's, it's a really good approximation. And if that is something you want to work out, that drop following the curvature, you don't want to do trig on the fly. I mean, I'm a big fan of trig functions, but they can be a nightmare to work out. Whereas squaring something, piece of cake. Multiplying by eight, no worries. Nice, simple mathematics. They took a complicated formula, and they turned it into a nice, neat, tidy polynomial. And that, that's amazing. I mean, if only we could do that to every annoying function. Swap it out for a nice, well-behaved polynomial. Well, we can. Here I have four dots, and if I push this magic button, the GeoGebra file put a polynomial through all of them. And because I started with four dots, I get a cubic. Because if you've got n dots, you'll always get a polynomial of order n minus one. So that's the highest power in the polynomial that goes through all of them. And it doesn't matter where I put them, that will always be the case. These four dots, arrange them anywhere, I'm always gonna get a cubic that goes through all of them. Oh, apart from a few weird edge cases, like if I line that one up perfectly there, It'll, oh wait, where's that gonna break? There, broken, there, right there. Doesn't work. But apart from those weird cases, you always get a polynomial. And the great thing about a polynomial 
It's so well behaved. All you're doing is multiplying by a coefficient and then raising your variables to a power. Straightforward. It's easy to work out, it's easy to differentiate, it's easy to find zeros, it's just, it's easy to do everything. So you take your complicated formula, you put a few dots on it, and then you know you've definitely got a polynomial that will go through those dots, and you can use that instead. Genius. And this GeoGebra file was actually made by another friend of mine, uh, Matthew Scroggs, who you may remember from the Menace video I made many years ago about the matchboxes that play noughts and crosses. And they were also doing a talk at the same Mass Jam conference, and they showed this, and uh, they mentioned that sometimes, if you're trying to approximate a function with a polynomial, it can go in just a little bit, just a tiny, a tiny bit wrong. This was Scroggs' first example, a plot of y equals 5 to the power of x. A nice, simple-looking equation, but algebraically, it's not all that nice. What's that x doing up there? We have to get a log or something to reach that. How annoying. Let's turn it into a polynomial. Put a few points on it, fit a polynomial. Lovely. And as we add more and more points, that polynomial gets closer and closer to the original function. Amazing. So add as many points as you need till you get within the tolerances, you're in business. How can that possibly go wrong? You know what? We'll just look at one more example of how great it is before we wrap this video up. Second example, y equals 1 over 1 plus 25x squared. It's the inverse of a polynomial, so lovely. Got that adorable little bump in the middle. We can add a few points and we start to get an adequate approximation of it with a polynomial. But as we add more and more points, we get further and further away. What are all these things? And what are all these? We don't want this. We want, well that's nice, the approximation down there is working, but what is this nightmare? This is something called Runge's phenomenon, where you're trying to approximate that bit over there, and the m bits just go wild. Runge's phenomenon, where you try and fit a polynomial, but you get these crazy wild spikes, often happens when there's kind of a change in the level. So we have a nice flat range of dots here. If we raise one of them up while fitting a polynomial, you can see not only is it a bit of a mess where the spike's going in, but what's happening over there? Like, trying to move a dot over here is ruining our fit over there. If only there was a way to fix this. Yep, another cut. Another GeoGebra file. Uh, this is another one that Scroggs made, showing that function from before, and these points are equally spaced. And you get Runge's phenomenon when there are equally spaced points. So in theory, we could move these around to try and get rid of those annoying spikes at the edges. And uh, put that, that's not bad over there. So I've kind of fixed the left. We can try and smooth out the right, that's better. Because if I bring, like I'm not gonna move the middle one, right? Because if we go off center, it's, it no longer meets the peak. So let's put that at the top there. And I think that's not bad by moving them out. Because if I bring these points into the middle, that's when, oh, what a mess. But I put them over here, it's a lot better. So it turns out, instead of having the points equally spaced, if we push them out to the sides, we get a much better approximation. But is there one arrangement which is particularly good? Yes, there is, that's why I'm asking. It's great. Instead of arranging our polynomial points so they're equally spaced on the horizontal axis, if you project them down, instead, you can start with a circle, equally space the points on the circle, then project those down onto the horizontal axis, and then they're the points you use for your polynomial fit. These are called Chebyshev nodes, or Chebyshev 
spacing. And it is way better if you use this distribution where you've got more on the edges and fewer in the middle. In this very specific pattern, you get a much, much better approximation. And here it is. Isn't that much nicer? With the Chebyshev spacing, we get a much better approximation. As a reminder, this is what it looked like before. Nightmare, but now lovely. And we can have that one raised spot from before. This is it moving backwards and forwards with the equally spaced points. And look what happens if we switch to Chebyshev spacing. Way, way better. And we now have what we originally intuitively, incorrectly expected. Before we thought surely more points equals better approximation. And now with Chebyshev spacing, that is true. If you keep adding more points, you're guaranteed to get a better and better approximation. I know what you're thinking at this point. You're thinking, but what about my function? Probably in that exact tone of voice, honestly. But I assume a lot of you will have some function. You're thinking, well, how does that function compare if you've got the Runge susceptible equally spaced points compared to the Chebyshev distribution? of points. Well, Matthew Scruggs has you covered. They've written Runge Bot, which works on both Twitter and Mastodon. So on Twitter here, I'm going to at Runge Bot, and then I'm going to give them a function. So I want the function of x uh, equals, let's try uh, the square root of x. Oh, you know what, specifically x, and I'm going to use Python notation. So star star is power, but you could use an up arrow. I just know that RungeBot definitely does all of Python syntax, and it does do some of other equation uh, notations that people use. But I'm gonna send it x to the power of a half, and send. There we go, right. So, RungeBot's now got that. It'll take a while, it'll process it, and um, send it back. And like I said, it does work on um, Mastodon, to be more accurate. Maths to Don. That's the Maths Mastodon server. Guess where you'll find me if you go looking. And one of the great things about that server is if you're on it, if you use LaTeX for equations, it will render that perfectly. Uh, not if you're on a different server, but you can still see the tweets, you just see the LaTeX, but it makes it nice and crisp. Which brings us to this video sponsor, Overleaf. Now I don't actually use Overleaf, but someone else in my household does. It's a dog. Sky uses, uses no it's not, it's my wife, Lucy. Okay, who's a real scientist and actually does use Overleaf. Uh, that's why the dog is here with us. Um, yeah, I know, you would if you had to collaborate on a scientific document. Um, so anyway, when I mentioned Overleaf, we're going to support one of my videos. Lucy got very excited because you I use did. it. I did. I use it all the time and it just makes my life much easier. So my favourite thing is it means I can collaborate really easily. Um, so I don't have to email around documents. Everyone just sees the, sees the same file. Everyone can comment on it. It's great. It's so easy. There you go. Now, how did you find out about Overleaf? <laughs> well, um, I saw my PhD students using it, and I ah. thought, oh, that's a pretty nifty. What were you doing at the time? Oh, I was still. I still had the files myself, and I was compiling the LaTeX files and converting to PDF to email around. Uh, and you like saw a... them using Overleaf. And you're like, what is this magic? I, I felt like a dinosaur. There you I go. mean, what can I say? And you started on the free. 
yes. account. Yeah, we started on the free account and that was really good. Um, but then my institution bought a license. So now we get all the features. Yes. That's much but if you want those features, you can get premium as well. Huge thanks to Overleaf for sponsoring this video. Do check out overleaf.com. Now it's time to see what Scroggs's Runge bot has given back to me for my square root of X plot. So I'm gonna go into notifications here and <laughs> something went wrong. Matt Scroggs, can you please fix me? So there you are, Runge bot, Incre incredible, incredible, it's broken. We will fix it. In fact, now we'll cut in, this is what it should look like. Isn't that amazing? Well done. And by the time the video goes out, We'll have Runge bot. I'll take some of that Overleaf money and we'll spend it on Runge bot servers to get it. It's, it's probably literally running on a Raspberry Pi in Matt's cupboard. So we'll improve that. And if you want to check out uh, Mastodon, if you've heard about this uh, alternative to Twitter, I am on the maths2don.xyz server, but whatever server you're on, you can all interact across. That's my dog eating some of the lighting film. We're gonna go stop that. We're gonna stop the video. Thank you for watching. Bye. What have you got?